Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, to teach, and put days like today into context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me, of course, at Jim Kramer. Should it bother us? Should it bother us that the President of the United States makes major policy decisions based on the day-to-day action in the stock market? Is it wrong when he puts his thumb on the scales of favor of the bulls? When I say that Trump is the most stock market sensitive president in modern history. Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump stock. I'm talking about days like today, where the Dow jumped 373 points. S&P surged 1.48%. And the Nasdaq pulled water 1.95%. That was easy. All because the president delayed some key tariffs that were supposed to go into effect on September 1st. Instead, certain important items like laptops, like cell phones, are now exempt until December 15th. So at the very least, many companies have more time to adjust. And maybe they never get hit at all if the Chinese agree to make some real concessions. Why did he do it? I think President Trump saw the market melting down yesterday. Right on the heels of a major pullback on Friday. And he took action to turn things around. After all, he does want to get reelected next year. It's easy to do that when stocks are in good shape. Makes sense to you. Makes sense to me. If you own stocks, if you're a bull, this was terrific news. You made a lot of money today. But if you were shorting the market, if you're a bear, this kind of action is nothing short of infuriating. Trump is a short seller's worst nightmare because even though he's an impulsive fella, can we agree with that? He's willing to turn on a dime if he's hurting the averages. So when the trade war got a little too heated, he tempered his policies and single-handedly caused the market to bottom. This is unique behavior for a president of the United States, to say the least. Love him or hate him, Trump's more sensitive to the stock market than any president I can recall. I've had the privilege of meeting several presidents, not to mention their advisors. I'm always stunned at how clueless they seem to are. They are about the stock market. They're like, no, nothing. I got to give Bill Clinton credit for being interested in the market, but I, I don't think he consistently guided his decision-making. I sure wish George W. Bush had taken stocks more seriously. Maybe then he would have done something to stop the financial crisis before Lehman Brothers went under. As for President Obama, whom I never met, he was the polar opposite of Trump. Even though the stock market performed very well under his administration, he never gave you the sense that the market was a priority. I don't think Obama believed stocks were a good proxy for the economy because a strong market disproportionately benefits the wealthy. But President Trump, well, he watches CNBC, among other networks. I know this because he tweeted my comments about the strength of the economy. Now, he doesn't want the stock market to get crushed because it's integral to his campaign rhetoric and to his pro-capitalist bent. You've got to understand, Trump is competitive. 
On The Apprentice, where I served as a judge several times, he always cared about the Nielsen ratings. And in the White House, he sees the major averages, I believe, as his Nielsen's. I think the president was taken aback by the sell-off yesterday. It was like the sell-off the previous Monday. Enough is enough. The press blamed the strength in the bond market and that inverted yield curve thing you keep hearing about, where long-term interest rates have gone below short-term rates, something that suggests investors are incredibly worried about the future, meaning that they think it's about to fall off a cliff. Now, there are multiple reasons why the yield curve might be inverted, but the chief one is the decline in world trade. I get that. We have had trade wars before. Some were effective. Some were disastrous. Most economists will tell you that tariffs are always bad, even though history says, frankly, quite otherwise. That's why there's a relentless belief on Wall Street that our trade war with China is what's causing the inverted yield curve. They see it as a principal driver of the weakness in global commerce. More important than Brexit, more important than stagnating European economies, more important than a collapsing of Argentina. So when the president gives us a stay of execution on most of his new tariffs, delaying them until December, this is a very big deal for the stock market. Correctly a big deal. What was the White House trying to accomplish here with this news that came about right after my mad dash at 930? Okay, I think it was a genuine olive branch, something that allows the Chinese government to save face start buying some American ag products. He stuck it to them right after this with, of course, a tweet. You know what? They, 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 they need to buy some pork. They desperately need it because of, of, a, of a, kind of a particular kind of swine flu that's proving very difficult to eradicate. And you can check that with Zoetis. They know all these things. Second, it gives the companies that were about to get slapped with the 10% tariff more time to move their manufacturing from China literally to anywhere else. Vietnam, India, it doesn't matter as long as it's not China. ABC. Anybody but China. Third and perhaps most important, it gives President Trump cover to strong arm our man, Fed Chief Jay Powell. He's not really our man. I'm not just kidding in my head. Uh, into cutting interest rates more aggressively. Tariffs are inflationary. We just got a consumer price index this very morning. It was a little too hot for Powell, a 0.3%. Even as real average uh, hourly earnings decreased by 0.1% over the month of July. No one talked about that number. I thought it was staggering. The wages decreased. So much for inflate wage inflation. Milk, a 10% tariff on all sorts of goods would have pushed consumer prices up even higher. Now, Trump can use this delay to show Powell or berate Powell or browbeat Powell that there's no real inflation, which will give the Fed more leeway to cut rates. Look for some tweets saying that. Probably tomorrow. Put it all together, and you know what you got? You got a vicious short squeeze, where everything that was hated is now loved, and everything that was loved is now disliked. And I see I didn't say hated there, because the stocks that benefit from the state of execution were big enough to help lift the whole S&P 500. Now, I got to tell you, I think you could get worse for the bears. Before it gets better. China now needs to contend with the slowing economy and these militant protests in Hong Kong that have now shut down the airport for two days in a row. You know what? I have a hard time imagining a scenario where all this ends peacefully. I think China may need to send in the PLA. That's the People's Liberation Army. And if that happens, they'll be fighting a two-pronged war, a trade war with us and a real war in Hong Kong. In that case, I'm betting the Chinese will give in, at least on agriculture, and do some bye-bye-bye. There's ample opportunity here, seeing as there are a bunch of calls scheduled between both sides. Now, I'm always telling you that the hardliners in the Trump administration have more influence on trade policy. I wouldn't see this as a big loss for them, although it is a loss. See, these tariffs are only delayed until December. They're not canceled. If China refuses to come to the table, they'll end up going into effect. As far as the hardliners are concerned, that's almost inevitable 
because they don't believe the Chinese are willing to make any concessions at all. I disagree, but who am I? Just a TV guy. Let's go back to the original premise. Coming into today's session, the bears expected the assault on the tenure to continue, with the yield heading toward 1.5%, a ridiculous number, frankly. Instead, because of the stay of execution on the new tariffs, the yield on the tenure actually went up. And all the traders who had been keying off the bond market, you know, they used this algorithmically, they had no choice but to buy stocks or cover stocks if they were short the bottom line. The next time you're terrified that everything is falling apart and the stock market's about to roll over, Remember that we have a pro-stock market president who's willing to take action to turn around the averages. Maybe that's unfair to the bears, but it's fabulous for the bulls, which more than likely includes you. AJ in California. AJ. Booyah, Jim. First time, long time. All right, AJ. I was going to draft you, but I think you're hurting. What's up? (laughs) Uh, My stock today, I'm asking about it, Macy's M. Uh, Dividend is very appealing, and it seems to be consistent. With Macy's reporting tomorrow, is the magic still with Macy's? Ah, Chief, listen to me, okay, and listen good. That's tomorrow's business. They're going to report before the opening. I think that uh, Courtney Reagan even, I think he's going to get Jeff Gannett. I I like Courtney. I like Jeff. Um, The stock is signaling with a 7.8% yield that something is very, very wrong. But we'll know in 12 hours. Or make that 19. Let's go to Judah in New York. Judah! Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. I have a, an infant on the way, baby on the way, looking to make a very long-term investment in one of your cloud kings or princes. Wanted to know your thoughts on ServiceNow or an alternative. Boy, you know, ServiceNow, I was talking about it with a guest. ServiceNow with John Dotto, that's a really good idea. First of all, congratulations, what I'm putting the cart before the horse there. But ServiceNow is a terrific idea. Why? Because there are going to be ups and downs and ups and downs, but your child is going to experience the vast upcycle that John Dotto has put in because that is a software uh, as a service giant. I like your choice. Let's go to Joseph in New York. Joseph. Hey, Jim. Booyah. How Booyah. you doing, pal? I'm a big Blue Giants fan. I was a 37-year Wall Streeter. Okay. Uh, I just retired two years ago. About that time, they were talking about a recession. Stock market fell off about 4,000 points in December 2018. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking about a recession-proof stock. Okay. So I started accumulating shares of Match, Match.com, M-T-C-H, at around $14. In July of 2017, I bought it all the way up to $56 in April 19. Right. And it just had fantastic earnings come out. Yeah, it did. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was fueled by Tinder, uh, 500,000 new subscribers. Mm-hmm. And the CEO gets only like $2.5 million a year total comp. Well, I'll so, see what I can do about that, but... Uh, you know, I think that Match is, is a great story. You know I'm a big interactive guy. I've been behind Match. I mean, before they even had Match, I was behind Match. I think it's a terrific product. Not that I would know myself. This Tinder does get You know what? People like can just hinge a lot, too. I don't know. It's like AI meets dating or something. I don't know. But, yeah, Match is a good situation. I think you should hold on to something. Take your profit. Take your money off and play with the house's money. 14 comes out. $80. Good thing. These days, it sure seems like the president's pulling the market strings. Hey, is that so bad? At least it's on the side of the bulls, darn it. Just when you thought the stocks were about to roll over, Trump delayed tariffs on some Chinese imports. Right about after I said he should delay tariffs on Apple. Yeah, Mr. Ego, huh? 
Anyway, and while I think you made that call for a few reasons, I know that it doesn't bode well for the bears out there. Even I still think you roll back a little in this game. Well, my money tonight. You know what I say? It's the S&P's world, and you and I are just living in it. I'll tell you what it means for your money. The major averages are up more the, well, the first time in three days. Is it finally time to sound the all clear, or is there more instability ahead? we got to do we got to check in with the VIX. Get that off in tonight's off the charts. And my exclusive with Zebra Technologies. Has the company changed its stripes after today's move higher? I'm going to sit down with the CEO. I urge you to stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. Want to know the real problem with today's fantastic rally? It wasn't selective. We live in a world that's dominated by the major indices. So when some major players in the S&P 500 go higher, they pull the rest of the market up with them. Think fang, even some stocks that don't deserve to go higher. And that's why I want to get really granular with you tonight. But who actually benefits from President Trump's stay of execution on some of his new tariffs? Instead of going into effect September 1, many of these products could be delayed till December 15th. It certainly saves things for the holiday season. And I think more important, what we're developing here is a list of stocks that you can buy when they start coming back down because they are going to be exempt. Biggest beneficiary, good example of this is Apple. Now, one of the exemptions here is for cell phones, including the iPhone. If Trump had stuck with the original timeline, do you know what would have cost Apple maybe 50 to 55 cents a share? Cutting numbers, Apple. And that's according to a very thorough report from Wedbush this very morning. Apple also makes laptops in China. Laptops are also on the temporary exemption list. This is a home run day for Apple. Huge wins. Going to the holidays, the company's going to have to eat the cost of these tariffs themselves or raise prices and lose market share. Both real bad. I can't overemphasize the importance of this call. Apple's been a total flashpoint within the White House, within, because they're caught between both countries. They make tons of stuff in China, which is a huge market for them, but they also make tons of stuff here. Plus, they built a whole ecosystem of job creation in the software space in both countries. While Tim Cook has done a great job of pressing his case, it wasn't until this morning that he got any kind of break because he makes too much stuff in China, according to some people in the White House. This is also great for many of Apple's suppliers. I would say that the one I want to highlight the most because they reported a good quarter away from this is Skywork Solutions, SWKS. Really good company. And it's been hurting, uh, coming and going from the tariffs. Uh, also from Huawei. Micron benefits too, and they're already starting to see a pickup in demand for flash memory chips. Although their other big business, DRAMs, is still struggling. That stock's taken off, as is Texas Instruments. Some people like to be in Qualcomm. I think you're courting trouble there. Cirrus Logic, sound business, is another potential winner, even though the stock hasn't really been beaten up. Who else benefits? All right, let's take a little uh, 
tour here of Watch. That's my acronym for Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. These are major retailers that sell pallets and pallets of Chinese goods, or at least goods that are made in China that don't look like it. Without the state of execution, these companies might have had a tough holiday season. At the very least, their margins would have been crimped by the tariffs. They can't take them all the way up because they may lose share to somebody else, so they have to eat some of that tariff. I think, by the way, it's obvious that Best Buy benefits. Put that on your list if it comes down. Tons of their hardware that they sell is made in China. Although, with the stock up more than 6% today, most of the wind seems to be baked in. I do expect some upgrades tomorrow. Now, we know certain toys will be exempted, and that's obviously good news for Hasbro, which is moving its manufacturing away from China as fast as possible. Still has a lot to do. Tariff Grinch will no longer steal Hasbro's Christmas. What if the Chinese react positively to this gesture and they decide to extend an olive branch of their own? In that case, I think they'll make some agricultural purchases, which bodes well for deer, which has gotten to be cheap again. Anything that's good for the farmers is always good for deer. Finally, I got an odd one for you. It's a little, off the, uh, a little against the grain. Thanks. There are some of the hardest hit stocks whenever there's a flare up in the trade war. It's like there's like some jewelry opens as invent of a trade war, sell banks. But whenever there's a truce, they rebound nicely. So which one do you do? Best bet is City. Citigroup. That currently sells at a discount to its tangible book value. That's one reason Citi's buying back such a gigantic amount of stock this year. More than any other bank as a percentage of the float. These stocks have all been kept down by Trump's tariff announcement. 10% on the remainder of our trade with China effective uh, beginning of September. Now that he's giving many products an extension, I think those names can rally. As for the trade war, the Hawks point out that this is merely a delay. The Doves say this is a genuine thaw. Me? I think the truth is somewhere in between. Stay with me. The president rolling out exemptions to his latest round of tariffs is a very big deal. But before you get too swept up in today's miraculous rally, I want to sound a cautionary note. That sounds crazy. Remember that I was coming out here every day and telling you not to panic when the market was getting hammered. I told you good things could still happen, including positive developments in the trade war with China, like we got today. When Wall Street's freaking out, it's my job to calm you down. Unless there's real systemic risk that endangers the whole economy, which I knew was absolutely not the case this time. However, when stocks explode higher and everyone breathes a collective sigh of relief, it's important not to be too exuberant. In other words, you never want to be making emotional decisions in this game. It's better to rationally take stock of the situation. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Mark Sebastian. He's a brilliant technician who's the founder of OptionPit.com, as well as being my colleague at RealMoney.com to get a sense of what's really going on underneath. Mark is our resident expert on the CBOE Volatility Index, the VIX for short. That measures the implied volatility of the S&P 500. Now, we often call it the fear gauge because it's a great proxy for the overall level of panic in the stock market. And remember, no one ever made a dime panicking. So what does he see right now? Well, he thinks the VIX is a little worrisome. First, to understand the volatility index in the S&P 500 are supposed to move in opposite directions. Now, doesn't that make sense? When the market's up, the VIX should be down. When the market's down, the VIX should be up. And that's why it's known as the fear gauge. If that relationship does break down, if they travel in roughly the same direction, well, that's the market trying to tell you something, and you've got to stand up and look at it. Now, I want you to take a look at this pair of daily charts showing the S&P 500 and the volatility index in 2019. If you remember, back in April, we ran an off-the-chart segment where Sebastian pointed out that the market was rallying and the VIX was creeping higher, too. Oh, man, that was a very bad sign. He nailed this one. See, when the fear gauge is rising along with the market, it often means we are due for a sell-off. Sure enough, the VIX, it was telling you the truth. 
Once May rolled around, the S&P sold off hard, and it was a brutal month, as you remember. But there's a flip side to this kind of analysis. When the market's falling and the VIX stops rising, well, that usually means we're approaching a bottom. Over the course of May, as the S&P kept making lower lows, and here you can see the S&P going down, okay, the volatility index couldn't even come near its highs. Isn't that cool? I think it is. It seemed anemic. And once again, Sebastian's methodology was right. He made you money again. Uh, The market quickly bottomed, and then it roared higher in June. That's how important this is. So why bring it up now? Okay, suddenly the averages are rocketing higher. After getting absolutely clobbered for a couple days starting in late July, as everyone panicked about the new tariffs and plummeting Treasury yields potentially signaling a recession, the S&P 500 caught fire last week. While the averages uh, started rolling over again on Friday, something that continued yesterday, This morning, President Trump stepped in and we snapped right back. Now, looking at the action over the past week, the S&P has been moving on an average, this is pretty amazing, of 1.1% per day. You know, that works out to be about a 17.5% volatility on an annualized basis, which means you expect the VIX to be around 70.5 because it's calculated based on the implied volatility of S&P 500 options. But check out this zoomed-in pair of charts. Now, this shows the S&P and the VIX over the past six weeks. As of last Thursday's close, the volatility index was under 17, down from 24 when the market bottomed last Monday. Nothing alarming here. Remember, when the the averages go up, the VIX is supposed to go down. See, that that makes a lot of sense, right? That is commonsensical. Although Sebastian uh, would have liked to see the VIX go down below 16. Now, keep that in mind, because that's going to be an important number. Then when the S&P got slammed again on Friday and Monday, the volatility index bounced back to 21. Okay, um, And that's pretty normal. The S&P makes a higher low. The VIX makes a lower high. And that's what you'd expect. We want to see this go back to there. Today, though, the S&P snapped back. And while the VIX came down, it finished the day around 18. While we've had a lot of turbulence, Sebastian's worried that the volatility index seems to be creeping up along with the stock market. Why does that matter? Because as Sebastian points out, over the past couple of years, every time the S&P's had a rapid rally that failed to really bring down the VIX, that's what we had today maybe, it resulted in some sort of sell-off, even when everyone was getting all excited, all bulled up. The most notable one being the big blow-up in January of 2018, when people really went nuts. Now, Sebastian doesn't believe we're in for a big breakdown here, especially not after the recent carnage. But when he sees the market snapping back like this while the volatility index has really kept pace, well, he worries that the upside might be more limited than a lot of people expected when they saw the news from the president this morning. And just look at today's trajectory. Okay, the S&P 500 pole vaulted above 2900 right at the open and then it pretty much flatlined. For the rest of the session. And that's why Sebastian thinks we may need at least a few days to digest these gains. As long as the VIX stays stuck above 16, he says it's a sign that you shouldn't place too much trust in the rally. So what does Sebastian want to see before he can get on board with this run? He says the market needs to pull back a bit for a couple of days. Then hopefully we get a slower, more logical rally. Today's move was not at all, not at all discriminating. Not all discriminating. It took up the good with the bad, and that worries me. Uh, The winners from the tariff exemption with the stocks that have nothing to do with the exemption. More on that later. Until we digest these recent gains, Sebastian predicts that the fear gauge will stay above 16, and this market's going to chop around. Here's the bottom line. 
oh, I know we had a fantastic run today, but the charts, as interpreted by VIX master Mark Sebastian, suggest that you still need to be wary that we may not be done selling off. While he's not predicting a big decline, he thinks you should be prepared for choppy waters and perhaps a modest pullback. The averages haven't really digested these latest gains. And like we saw last week, big moves higher can result in some serious stock market reflux, which is why I keep this on hand. As for me, I like where we are right now, but that's no excuse for throwing caution to the wind. Let's speak to Jerome Washington. Jerome. Jim, hello from the left coast. Uh, A couple of bond questions. Sure. I'm 72 years old and followed your advice. About one-third of my portfolio is in bonds with a new lower yield. Should I stay in or switch to more stocks? No, you're too young. You're too young. I don't want you in these bonds. They're not going to help you. I mean, I'd rather see you in some. I'd rather see you in Verizon and, and, and Ventas. I'm not kidding. I think that you're making a mistake being in those low yielding bonds when we've got some high quality stocks that give you a very good yield. Think Coca-Cola. So let's make that change. If you were 72, it would be a different story. But you're 32. I don't want you in that. Let's go to Sharon in New York. Sharon. Hi, Jim. How are you? Ah, uh, you know, I'm pretty good, Sharon. How about you? I'm great. I'm great. I love your show. You're Thank always you. a fantastic help. I just want to ask you a question. Uh, now that the market has rebounded today, do you prefer an index fund for somebody in their early 30s? And if so, which one and what percentage do they usually offer? Um, I'm happy to, you know, I, look, I think you want the uh, SPX or there's a couple of funds that offer really, really low numbers. I'm not going to necessarily name them. You have to do some comparison on this, but I will tell you this. Uh, I don't want you to do it all at once because we've done a lot of work on these big spikes up and it looks like that you could have a little bit it was according to our VIX expert a little bit of decline ahead so leg in don't put it all in at once because you'll end up I think feeling badly about that can you trust this rally our chartist says no not yet not while the VIX flashes a warning sign I'm with him he's been so right the charts are saying volatility and even a modest pullback could be coming as the major averages digest today's gain so if you're like that caller Please don't put it all in tomorrow morning. Much more mad money, including my exclusive with a company going beyond the barcode to help businesses stay on top of things and also football teams. Then a biotech company with a new way to treat cancer. I know it's up over 150% year to date. Wait until you hear the innovative ways it's attacking tumors. I think there could be more. I'm going to talk with the CEO, with the uh, chairman of Novacure. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. In the stock market jungle, this animal has run wild with long-term gains. But when the going gets tough, does this zebra need to change its stripes? Or will advanced analytics and a new deal with the NFL keep the stock galloping onward? Even with the market roaring back today, some high-quality stocks are still down big from the recent highs. It takes Zebra Technologies, technology company that's a leading player in enterprise asset intelligence. They specialize in mobile printers and computing, data capture, really important, radio frequency identification, and real-time locating systems that help other businesses keep track of their inventory, their vehicles, 
and their employees. I've liked this stock for ages. And long term, it's been a huge winner. It's up 178% over the past five years, up more than 30% year to date, 3% bounce today. However, Zebra reported a truly fantastic quarter a couple weeks ago. It took even me by surprise when they sent the stock surging from 189 to 218 in a single day. And thanks to the recent turbulence, it's now back to 208. Is it viable? Let's check in with, with Anders Gustafsson. He's the CEO of Zebra Technologies. Find out more about the quarter and the company's prospect. Anders, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Good to see you. Yeah. Congratulations on that great quarter. I know there were a lot of people betting against it because Honeywell had a disappointing quarter in your uh, particular line of business. But you're really not that analog, right? You're very different companies. Yeah, we, we, we overlap in a number of areas, but we do quite, quite a few different things right. also. So, you know, we have, a, we have, a, we have our own strengths and, and uh, we compete for them, but not, uh, not everywhere. Right. The reason I put it out is because when I go to Honeywell, I do not see a video of Sean Payton, the coach <laughs> of the New Orleans Saints and a man I greatly respect, talk about how at the end of a practice or a game, he uses all of your stuff to analyze who's really doing the job. That's right. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a unique industry that we're right. in. Yeah. And you have these cameras. Now I see around the stadium at the top, that's your material, right? Yeah, we do some of that also. Yeah. Because it seems like that uh, when I try to figure out human capital, uh, we don't know how to rate human capital, but we're paying these people. The teams are paying them millions of dollars. They can't afford to not have that sensor. And that's your product. Yeah, no, I think we've learned now this this past year that uh, the the, the, uh, tracking system we have with the NFL, is actually considered to be the best by the broadcasters, the coaches, and the fans. Well, I wanted to ask you, yeah. um, because I'm a fantasy football player, can yeah. we get access to it? Uh, so I think... The, it's not clear, right? Yeah, yeah the can NFL owns it? the data, so okay. we, we can't give you access to the data. I think they give access to some of the data, but okay. not all the data. Because that would be like yeah. the secret sauce. Yeah, then you have a, you know, all the information you could possibly uh, you know, want to have about every player. On the, on, well, it's as on, good as the, the combine, if not better. Yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, this was another quarter where you really distinguished yourself in the Omnichannel. You talk tremendously. It's almost, I cannot imagine a retailer who is trying to keep track of their, 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 their uh, any of their big warehouses yeah. not using you. How do you keep track of all that merchandise without Zebra? Yeah, I think we are now, you know, become an essential part of, right. of retailers' uh, uh, strategies for uh, building omni-channel and e-commerce uh, capabilities. You know, h- historically we were probably viewed a bit more as a tactical device uh, right. supplier. Today we are much more of, a, of an integral part of enabling them to execute on their strategy, and we moved ourselves up the kind of the solution stack mm-hmm. to be able to de- deliver more value to them. And you've got some new things, Savannah, Explore. These yeah. are all value part of your ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah, Savannah is, is our uh, data platform. Right. So basically what we can do is we can connect all sorts of um, uh, devices or, or, or sensors. And on, on the, kind of the south side and the north side, we can have uh, APIs to all sorts of other applications. We can right. provide a lot of analytics around what's happening there. All right, so would you, where would you fit in, the, uh, in, in say, a uh, software-as-a-service food chain, an yeah. Adobe, a Salesforce? Do they integrate with you or you stand alone? So we, we, we would, um, uh, we, yeah, so both, I guess. We okay. integrate with a lot of in- independent software vendors. So if you right. look at large uh, companies like Oracle, SAP, mm-hmm. Manhattan, JDA, they're all partners of ours. They tend to, you know, we, we exchange data with them. We provide data that they use for their uh, operations. But we also have our own uh, uh, software capabilities. We bought a company called Profitect right. that does you know, predictive analytics, uh, a good example of this. But we have other, other software capabilities well, also. Good. When I listened, I said, I kind of felt like it was a recently 
uh, Salesforce bought a company called Tableau, yeah. and they would, I was trying to figure out whether they're a competitor, they would integrate, I think they would integrate your would, data. Yeah, they would more integrate our data. Okay. We could be a, a source for, the, for, for uh, uh, data or insight analytics for them. Well, that's a software company with yeah. a much higher multiple than when yeah. I first met you, which was much more of a hardware company. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we, yeah, we, uh, we aspire to get those kind of valuations also. Well, you deserve <laughs> it. I mean, I think that this is a very changed story. Now, there's still terrific hardware. I saw on your website a wristband that yeah. you can use. I mean, and yeah. then there's one on your chest. I mean, what do yeah. you, where, how many parts of your body can have scanners? Yeah, no, it, you know, tracking, every, you know, today more and more things are being tracked. And there's right. more, you can get more and more efficiencies out of this. So, you know, we're tracking, you know, employees, patients, uh, assets, you know, all of these things. So, you know, we say we provide a, a performance edge to the, the front line of business by having, you know, every employee, you know, uh, device, uh, you know, technical thing being connected and optimally uh, utilized, visible right. to the networks. Uh, last thing is, why is it only football? Is it because they have, they have, they have bulky... Uh, equipment and you can put some, I mean, why can't it put a sensor on a basketball player to see whether the, that's, that guy's working too hard? Maybe that guy's going to be out of breath. Maybe that guy's going to hurt himself yeah. because they, there's billions of dollars at stake with basketball players yeah. who are getting hurt all the time. Yeah, I think we just, football, it, it, it works uh, particularly well. What, you know, our type of technology works particularly well for football, but it all, would work for also basketball, ice hockey, you know, uh, soccer. They just haven't, ice hockey just hasn't discovered it yet? I think the ice hockey, the challenge has been the puck. How do you track the puck uh, right. and put the tag in, inside the puck has been, you know, we can do it, but it's more costly. Um, oh. On basketball, they've been more focused on the ball than the players. Yes, they should focus on the yeah. players because we've seen too many injuries yeah. from people who we should have flagged it ahead yeah. of time. Absolutely. I think that we would do a better job, though. I bet you do. That's Anders Gustafsson, Zebra Technology CEO, CBRA. The key thing here, hardware to software. A much better, higher price earnings uh, ratio, and that's what you want from a company. Bad money's back in the break. It is time! Time for the light round! Good morning, Rock and Rolls, one of those. Hit the stumps, step up, I'll bite you, myself, you know, you're playing. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? Time for the light round! Come on, go start with. Margaret, Margaret in Arizona. Margaret. Yeah, hi. Hi. Hi there. Thanks for everything. Um, no Jim, I have a question for Alibaba. No. Um, yeah. So I, what do you think with all the trade war and everything? You know, it does tend to work. Look, I'm not against owning the stock because it's the only Chinese stock that I'm recommending. I think business is quite good. And JD did report a good number. I think you'll be okay. Uh, I need to go to Kevin in New York. Kevin. Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Chief. What's uh, up? I'm a long-term holder of automated data processing. I uh, wanted to get your short and long-term. My short and long-term is that, and listen, listen good. Carlos Rodriguez is doing a terrific job. The stock has been a complete horse. I think you're right to be in a short, medium, and long-term. I need to go to Nikki in Texas. Nikki. Hi, Jim. Love the show. Oh, thank you, Nikki. Wanted to get your thoughts on Sanderson Farms. I don't like the chicken business. Uh, if I had to be in a, one of these commodity players, I'd rather go with Tyson. Uh, I think Tyson's got a better panoply and also has some non-commodity business and had a pretty good quarter. Let's go to Bob in Delaware. Bob. Jimmy. Yo. An E-A-G-L-E-S booyah to you. Go Eagles. What's up? 
Jimmy, I just quick aside, I wanted to wish my mom, who was 100 yesterday, a happy birthday, and her, can commend her on the foresight that she had to buy me Coca-Cola stock when I graduated from high school in 1968. Well, I, I got it. Yeah, happy 100th birthday to her. And uh, that is sensational news, and Coca-Cola's been a great win. We know that from Warren Buffett, too. Let's make some money for her and for you and me. Well, my question surrounds the DuPont company, Jim, and with the the, the, spin, the two spinoffs and uh, what what do we look? It's been very volatile, as I'm sure okay, you Bob, know. Okay, Bob, September 1, they're going to be free to do a lot of stuff. Look, I think you always have to be owning your mistakes. I believed in the breakup of Dale DuPont. It did not come through the way I'd like. It didn't hurt me, but it didn't make any money for my trust. And I do think that DuPont's a buy here because it's got some breaking up to do. I need to go to Laura in Texas. Laura. Booyah, Jim, from San Antonio. There, San Antonio. Love. What's up? Uh, my husband and I are big fans of the show. Thank you. And we'd like to thank you for the job you do. Uh, we're doing our best. I got a great staff. Mm-hmm. Including Heather Gaines, who's back day. from vacation. What's up? I have a question about Lockheed Martin. I bought in at 139. It closed today 427 off of its 52 week high. And I was wondering, do you think it still has room to run? All right, first of all, I want to congratulate you, that Lockheed Martin. Just so you know, she's talking about a triple. Okay, you get it. Not a lot of triples out there. Okay, not a lot of triples. I think she's doing fantastically well, and I'm going to say own it. Own it. Lockheed Martin goes higher. Hey, how about we go to jo- No, that is nonsense. Stop that. I had a five-hour energy drink today, and that's wrong. Let's go to George in New Jersey. George, stop it. Stop that. I'm going to violate the sanctity of the control room. I'm going to go back there. I'm going to go back there. George in New Jersey. George. My question is about the new core steel. Do you still like it even in uh, a slowing economy? Here's what I have to say. If you want to own a steel company, the only one to own is Nucor, NUE, dividend good, balance sheet great. They're letting me have the rest. See, they, they learn. They're letting me do another one. I want to go to Zach in Florida. Zach! Hey, Jim. Just wanted to say I love your show. I watch it all the time. Oh, I thank you, Zach. I let you know that you have a great staff. They're awesome. Um, Katie Spencer, fabulous. I wanted to ask a question about Qualcomm. What do you think of that? Uh, Qualcomm's okay. I prefer you to own a lot of the other semis, including Skyworks here. I like Skyworks more, frankly, less controversy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. In this seesaw of a market, you know, I always like to keep an eye on powerful growth stocks that have shown they can hang in there even when everybody else seems to be panicking. Now, you may not need them right now, but they're absolutely worth falling back down on when the next time Wall Street freaks out like we had the last couple of days, which brings me to Kramer Fave Novacure. This is a company that's pioneered a new way to fight some of the most aggressive forms of cancer, like glioblastoma, a real deadly type of brain cancer you may have heard of. They, uh, they call their therapy tumor treating, they call it therapy tumor treating fields, okay? And they fine-tune electric fields to specific frequencies where they disrupt cell division in solid tumors, basically make it harder for cancer to spread. Now, since we last spoke to Novacure in February of 2018, when I told you to buy it. The stock has vaulted from $20 to $88 and change. That's a 329% gain. And the numbers keep improving as the company's platform gains more and more mainstream recognition. In the latest 
quarter, their sales grew to 41% clip. Plus, they're right on the verge while they just actually had the first profitable quarter. Best of all, Novacure keeps testing their technology on more ty- common types of cancer. Non-small cell lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, ovarian cancer, liver cancer. I think the stock's got a lot more upside. They are doing well by doing good. Do not take it from me. Let's catch up again with Bill Doyle. He's executive chairman of Novacure. Get a better read on how his company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Doyle, welcome back to Mad Money. Mr. Kramer, how good are you? To, good to see you, Bill. Congratulations on everything you've done. You know, to, but it, it really is incredible. This was your first ever quarter of positive operating income. Now, since we've seen each other, the acceptance of what you're doing has grown astronomically. How did you do it? Well, I think, as, as you point out, we have a brand new platform technology to treat cancer. So it's not surgery, it's not chemotherapy, it's not radiation. So it's different. And that means that we have to educate doctors and we have to educate patients and we have to keep publishing papers. And we've just done that at a steady clip so that uh, our therapy is becoming uh, accepted. We also were designated category one by something called the NCCN. This is the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. This is the group of leading medical schools that essentially determine standards of care. Category one is their highest designation. That helped a lot, too. Well, that must help with reimbursement, which I know is so crucial for any sort of procedure. Well, of course, to bring a therapy to patients, which at the end of the day is our mission, which is to bring our therapy to as many patients who can benefit, ultimately uh, there has to be access. And access means that payers have to reimburse patients after doctors prescribe it. We've done a lot of work in this area, uh, and we're at the point now in the U.S. where virtually every private insurance plan covers our therapy for GBM. And the big step forward, uh, and I have to just underline this because it's very difficult, Mm -hmm. uh, this past quarter, Medicare agreed to cover the therapy for all the Medicare. 25% of your people are are Medicare, so that's a remarkable thing. And we had made the decision previously to provide the therapy to all the Medicare beneficiaries, even though we weren't getting paid. That was a a real burden on the company, but we thought it was the right thing to do. So we had all the expenses from those patients, which means now that the the revenue essentially flows right to the bottom line. Well, but one of the things, um, the ones you're after are so deadly, mesothelioma, uh, pancreatic, ovarian, liver cancer. These are, you're going after the real hard ones. Is there any reason why you're going after the toughest, the ones that others have failed at? So again, we're using electric fields, as you said, to disrupt cell division and cause cancer cell death. The interesting thing about this is that we can treat every type of cancer cell that we can essentially get our fields into. Uh, That means the solid tumors of the head, the chest, and the abdomen. That happens to be where all the tough cancers are. Wow. Uh, can this work for anything else other than cancer? So we, we're doing a lot of research in other areas, and there are some early indications uh, of, of other interesting effects. But we have so much on our plate right now with cancer. Um, okay. We're focused on our first indications, which are glioblastoma, as right. you mentioned. Our new indication last uh, quarter was mesothelioma. This is the one you hear about on TV uh, from asbestos exposure. Uh, But thankfully, those are relatively small. Now, we've been able to build a nice business that, 
as you mentioned also, is cash flow positive right. now, will be profitable very soon, and is paying for all of our development activities in these other cancers. That's a big difference between what we're doing in most biotechs, where they're doing great work, but they have to raise more money and more money right. to fund their no, trials. No, it's really different. Now, Bill, I, I came across this from a late friend of mine who lived far longer than anyone thought he could with brain cancer, and you know that. A, we know him, and he's turned me on to this, and I, you know, it, it's a blessing that he was able to live as long, but it was, he was carrying around a car battery-sized device. That's no longer the case, right? Yeah, so the other thing, and this is what being cash flow positive really means practically. Number one, we can accelerate our clinical development in more cancer types, mm -hmm. but we're also doing much more engineering on the device itself. So as you mentioned, first of all, it's become much, much smaller. Today it weighs about two pounds. Oh, my, the device, the old device weighed about six pounds. And even maybe more importantly, the patients, when they receive therapy, have a raise on the skin surrounding the cancer. We published data that shows that the more intensity of the fields, and if you want to think of it like an FM radio, you know, we turn the dial to dial in the station right. or the tumor, but then depending on how close you are to the station, you get the stronger signal. That's where we get the bigger kill effect. Okay. We can improve our transducer arrays or our antennas, so I think we're going to get even better results in the future, and we're paying for that development with, right. with, our, with our cash flow. One last question. There are many people, cancer is a deadly disease, and many of us have lost people to it. There's an entrenched group of people who like to do it the way they've been doing it. Are there people who are resisting simply because it's not the way they were taught? I think that's true with everything. Yeah, uh, so. It's brand new. Uh, it came out of left field. This was invented at a, a technical university in Israel by a physicist, not by a biologist from a, from a big hospital. But anything that's new. I've been involved with the introduction of, of stents, with ablation therapy for cardiac disease. They all take a while to get to maximum adoption. But we're doing remarkably well, given, uh, given how unexpected this therapy no, is. No, I remember in the time since you came, because I, I saw it in action. You have to see it to believe. Yeah. I'm hoping more doctors see it to believe. Thank you so much for everything you've done for the patients and for the shareholders. That's Bill Doyle. He's executive chairman of NovaCure. Please look at this story. Please, and stick with Craig. I know it's a good day for the Bulls. Remember Mark Sebastian's work on the VIX. He does indicate that we're going to have to do a little consolidation, some chopping, meaning we're probably going to go down a little bit before we can rally again. I like that advice. I don't like to buy on top of one of these major rallies triggered just by, yes, a tweet and a press release. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'd find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I'll see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.